You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another exciting, thrilling episode of Rule of Two. I am Darth Amin. I'm the Dark Lord of the Sith. We will capitulate. That over there is my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, aka Anthony Mays. This is the show where we review all things Star Wars on the Metal Arc Network. And as has been the case for the last three weeks, we're doing a double dip. Bad Batch, season two, episode 13, and the Mandalorian season three, episode three. Full disclosure, Maze. I texted you before the show. I wish I didn't waste my time watching that episode of Bad Batch. Mm. Is it worse because Mando is also out now? So if there's a bad episode of Bad Batch, it makes it extra bad. Only in the context of recording this podcast. Obviously, the the workload is heavier. The research is more. Like, a bad episode's a bad episode, but now I have to watch a lot, and I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be a good one or not, so I'm left with the feeling of I wasted my time. Mm. If Mandalorian wasn't on, it would be a bad episode, but then I could dig deep into it and find things and talk about things and complain about it. Instead, I wasted valuable time where I could have done a lot more research on an episode of The Mandalorian that... Maze might be my favorite since season two finale. Wow, okay. I had a feeling. It was a great episode of Mandalorian, so you want to stick around for that. Or fast forward, I don't know. It's a podcast. It's not live. But start with the Bad Batch. Or should I say we start in Macau in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Yeah. This isn't paying homage anymore. This is literally Temple of Doom. Gangsters on one side, heroes on the other, round table. The only thing missing is they didn't have the lazy Susan to pass the trinket around. And we didn't have a lounge singer. Other than that, that's Temple of Doom, ladies and gentlemen. It's Wanda Sykes' character, whose name escapes me every single time. I just call her Wanda Sykes. Fee Genoa. There you go, Fee. That's her name. And she's negotiating with a masked guy named Crowder. She's buying an artifact. And after the valuation and the passing of the credits and all that stuff has happened, Crowder passes Fee a drink. And in Indiana Jones, Indiana drinks it. And Lao Che... Starts laughing. <laughs> What's so funny is like, you've just been poisoned and this is the antidote. <laughs> then Indiana Jones basically tries to jump to get the antidote and the big jewel goes flying around. And here we go. We have mayhem as people are shooting up the club. The only difference here is that Wanda Sykes doesn't drink the poison. She like takes a sniff and like, I don't drink poison. And so 
Crowder says, not bad for a pirate. And as he says that, he reaches under the desk in amaze. I thought he'd have a blaster taped to the bottom of the desk. Mm, nope. Nope. He's got a button because, like Dr. Evil, what? I <laughs> I walk away, I just assume it gets taken care of, right? So he pushes a button, a slot opens, and this little poison centipede comes out very secretly and covertly on its way to sting Wanda Sykes. Omega points out she's not a pirate. She's a liberator of ancient wonders with all the devotion to accuracy that a child could have being around someone that they think is quote-unquote cool. Maze, the centipede poison things are not unlike the ones that they try to kill Padme with in Attack of the Clones. They're the very same, the Coohoons. Coohoons. Used by Zam Wassell. The funniest thing about that, this dude was pointing out how ridiculous it is that the Emperor tells Dooku, kill Padme. And Dooku says, I'm on it. And he goes to Jango Fett says, kill Padme. Jango Fett says, I'm on it. So he goes to assassin Sam Wassell, says, kill Padme. And she says, I'm on it. And she goes to the bugs and says, kill Padme. And the bug's like, I'm on it. And now I think about it, it might have been a robot chicken sketch because then the bugs outsource it to someone else more ridiculous and it just keeps going. But, like, it is kind of ridiculous. Just go ahead and do this shit yourself, man. What are you doing? Chain of command. Crowder has to do the SS, I'm going to live forever by saying, oh, you better show up with more muscle than pointing at Omega. Hunter's there playing Sabak, and he turns and blasts the Cohoon off of the shoulder with a knife that pins it against the wall. The Bad Batch are all there, and no one noticed somehow. Especially seven-foot-tall Wrecker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just stands up and growls, like, oh, where did he come from? Madness and Susan start shooting up the place, and ladies and gentlemen, I'll say it one more time. This is all Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They escape. They're on the ship. The guys are like, that doesn't look expensive or whatever, and she's like, it's valuable to some people. Wanda Sykes says, don't you guys think Omega should be learning other skills other than, like, being a soldier? Because she holds her own in a shootout very well now. She's up here, man. She's out here shooting things off the ceiling, and she's incredible. But Wanda Sykes makes the very accurate observation that she needs to learn how to be a kid and, like, have friends and social settings that don't include being around a bunch of soldiers all day, particularly ones who are basically her same genetic code. Tech, of course, because... Well, for whatever reason. Because he's on the spectrum. Because Tech's on the spectrum doesn't, like, what do you mean? Like, what does she need, what does she need friends for? I don't see the issue. While they're there, they get a voice message from Sid, who's being a dick again and threatening to snitch on them. Wanda says, hey, what happened? I thought you guys were all cool. And Hunter says, our mutually beneficial relationship was no longer beneficial. Mutually. Ha, ha, ha. Get it? Now we see Sid go from before kind of like, come on, guys, uh, whatever, to now like straight up, these are threats. Wanda takes them to this planet called Pabu, which I love Ryan Airy of Screen Crush called it Space Grease. After we got Space Miami yeah. in Andor, this is Space Grease. Very Mediterranean vibes here. Yep. Space Amalfi Coast, Space Sicily. It's a safe place for refugees from the war and after the war, right? All the people from the Clone Wars who were displaced, but also, you know, the Empire's kind of been being dicks everywhere. So people come here, and apparently Wanda is a pirate with a heart of gold because she rescues these artifacts and brings them back to 
taboos that these people can have, remnants of their culture as they live in this new place. We meet the mayor of Pabu, big tall guy named Ship, which reminded me of Leon's character in Above the Rim, Ship. Ship. And Shep has a daughter, so Omega immediately starts playing with the daughter, and, oh, they aren't they cute? Wanda tells the Bad Batch to stay in Pabu. A little stability might do them some good. They get to eat. They get this big feast. Wrecker says, I'm full. I'm never full. Tech says, I will note the date and time to commemorate such a momentous occasion, which I thought was a joke until he picked up his goddamn Palm Pilot mm. and, like, literally starts taking notes. I'm like, is he, is he really doing this? The only way he has feelings is if he writes them down in his log. Feelings? Like a 14-year-old. Like an Omega. Yeah. This wasn't quite as good of a sales pitch as Carl Weathers and Mando. Dude. They're not offering the Bad Batch tracts of land and prime positions and positions as the marshal of the town. No. Yeah. You guys should hang out here for a while. Have a little vacation. A little White Lotus action. Nice to be fair. This guy's just the mayor. That's true. Grief Cargo. It's a high magistrate. So High magistrate. It's totally different level. Big difference. Huge difference. After dinner, the mayor's daughter tells Omega, hey, do you want to go take out the boat on the water and see the sunset? They're in Space Greece or Space Sicily or whatever, so I guess that's just a thing kids do. They go down, they go on the boat. Of course, it's Star Wars, so the boat doesn't actually, like, sit in the water. It mostly hovers over the water. This boat goes out, and everything's cool, and everyone's having a great time. And then the little monkeys or whatever, the Munoz, which, by the way, whenever Star Wars, particularly these animated shows, whenever they have a name like that, it's typically, like, named after someone. So there's someone named Munoz, probably, who works there. And they go, Moon, yo. Like, they do that a lot. So the Munoz, uh, who we saw earlier in the episode, start chittering and running away. And Hunter's the only one who's like, something really, really bad is about to happen. And the mayor, who's also pretty tall, by the way. He's about Wrecker's height, which I thought was pretty impressive. Maybe we should play some pickup. Says, oh, no, it's impossible. There's nothing going on because if it was going on, we'd have an early warning system. And then the early warning system goes off. It's an earthquake. And the earthquake creates a tsunami-type scenario. A sea surge. And I'll be honest right here, Maze. We can just fast forward. Long story short, everyone has to be evacuated to the top floor. Omega and the mayor's daughter are running across land, trying to get picked up by Hunter. The island is also a mountain, so everybody climbs a mountain. They're climbing ladders and stuff. Tsunami hits, nobody dies, the end. Just a boring episode, filler episode. They don't even leave the planet. They decide to stay. We're going to get another one of these, and guess what? Someone's going to attack them now. Look, man, I just felt like that was a lot for what's going to be a very little payoff. What do you think, Maze? Did you like that episode? You're more forgiving about Bad Batch than I am. I don't even see how there's going to be a payoff in part two on this planet. The payoff is that either the Empire or someone's going to come looking for them there and destroy this planet or displace these people. Again. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> they live too good a life, especially since nobody died. We got some houses that were destroyed or whatever, and... Other than that, everyone's fine. No, next episode, that's when the death and destruction is going to happen. Omega got a friend. I guess that's the good part of this episode. Congrats. We didn't need a whole episode on that. They could have done that in 10 minutes and then given me an actual episode after that. Hey, guys. It's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy, something that makes me smile, something that's 
not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. He's still my heart, man. Man, though, no longer are we Xena Warrior Princess. We don't do little one-off adventures anymore. We have a story. We advance that story. And we have multiple, we have a B story now. And the B story is damn near the A story in this episode. But damn, what a story. Well, they did the classic thing, and I'm pretty sure they've done this on Mando before. Opening scene, Mando and Bo-Katan. Closing scene, Mando and Bo-Katan. And then in the middle you get the entire Dr. Pershing story on Coruscant. Yeah. And that's what they did with The Last of Us episode, episode three, where they start with Joel and Ellie and they close with Joel and Ellie. It's a good format for television. It's a gateway, right? Because there are people who are here to see them. Yes. There's a lot of people out there who are not as excited as you. Let's put it that way. Yeah. They're like, why the hell did we spend all this time with Dr. Pershing? What is all this shit? Give me my baby Yoda eating candy and stuff. Someone pointed out to me that kind of spoiled it for me a little bit. Oh, it's like the Mandalorian. And I was like, what? How are we tying this into Andor? But it was. And not only it was because we're on Coruscant and a lot of the visual cues this is the stuff that they don't really talk about. What was the New Republic like? And surprise, surprise, ain't shit, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get into it. All right, so we open up. We're back where we left off in the last episode. Bo-Katan has seen the Mythosaur. She pulls Din Djarin out. She asks him, yo, did you see that? Ugh. And he's like, see what? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> He didn't see it. He didn't see it. Yeah, eyes were closed. She saw it. He was passed out. He plummeted to the bottom of this living water situation. He got knocked out. He didn't see shit. And then she doubles down and asks, did you see anything alive? Yeah. And he still has no follow-up questions. Like, did you see something alive, Bo? (sighs) No, I just didn't see anything. Whatever. I got my water. I'm redeemed. This whole thing is like, I got rebaptized. So nothing else matters. I get it. He doesn't give a shit. And she says, I witnessed it. You bathed in the mythic waters. You're a Mandalorian again. And she's so snide. All the snideness of someone who's like, 
Yo, I'm from here. I'm from Brooklyn. You just moved here from Iowa, you little hick. They're on the ship, and he says to her, this is the way. And she repeats, this is the way. And then Grogu makes a noise, and I thought, did he just try to say this is the way? Did you catch that, Maze? This Grogu babbling, turning into speech thing is going to be a running theme this season. Can't wait to find out what Grogu's first word is going to be. Will it be a nonsense word? Will it be cookies? Who knows? Stay tuned. I just hope he talks like Yaddle and not like Yoda. Well, he'll just be saying one word at a time for a little bit. I hope it's one word at a time and not two words at a time backwards. backwards? No, that's definitely going to happen. Are you kidding me? That is going to happen at some point. We get a cool-ass dogfight with these TIE Interceptors that show up. Usually, I don't like these extended fight scenes. I'm like, get on with it. But like this one was actually pretty cool. No, this was great. It reminded me of Top Gun Maverick. And also, another movie <laughs> that was cinephobe eligible. What was it? Was it Stealth? Stealth, yeah. When he flies straight up in the air and then tips over and then comes down and blasts the TIE fighter, which was kind of cool, but I thought the Bo-Katan move was cool, way cooler. Yes, that was amazing because it used her unique ship design. Her wings. The wings flip around, kills her engines, does a 180, blasts the TIE interceptor, and then boots the engines back up just in time. Oh, it's super cool, super cool stuff. Really well done by Favreau and company. TIE Interceptors were a video game creation? No, they were in Return of the Jedi. Okay. Battle of Endor. So everything's cool. And then Bo-Katan sees these hating-ass imps. They tie-bombed the shit out of her castle. Bomber after bomber. They weren't trying to kill her. They just wanted to be assholes. Which sucks, I guess. But she does live there alone with one robot. So Yeah, like she didn't lose much, but it is like the family clan crease. The sentimentality of it. Yeah, man. It's like blowing up a castle that was from the 1200s or whatever. Like, yo, man. There's a straight comment that she says she's angered a lot of Imperial warlords. Yeah. And that's why this could potentially be coming after her. And... There's really only two options here, and I'll throw them both at you. I've seen a lot of excitement for people saying, oh, this could be Thrawn. Oh, wow. But it's got to be Moff Gideon. Too soon. She should call back. She gets mad. She's like, I'm going to go chase down these bombers and get them because of what they did. And that's when our guy Mando notices on the scope, 8 billion <laughs> TIE fighters heading our way. We need to go. We need to go right now. I know somewhere safe. Let's escape. Get chased a little bit jump to hyperspace we are on an unknown planet at this point i say what is this is this hosian prime is it coruscant and we are inside maze the opera house from revenge of the sith where palpatine first tells anakin that you can bring people back from the dead darth plagueis where would you learn such a skill and Palpatine very cheekily looks at him and says, not from a Jedi. Oh, <laughs> this is the same opera house. This is the same lobby, same steps, same everything. And we have Dr. Pershing giving a TED talk about how he's redeemed and he's a changed man and the empire is terrible. And I love the new Republic and this amnesty program. What a program. I love it. We get some exposition about cloning. He's talking about organ cloning and then he starts talking about strand casting, which is combining strands of different DNA into one new clone, 
which of course, I mean, is connecting to what we've been talking about in the Bad Batch, pointing towards Snoke. Yep, Snoke and then Palpatine further on, right? So a lot of, again, retconning a bad trilogy, but doing it very well. Dr. Pershing finishes his TED Talk, he's in the lobby, and all the New Republic elites are kissing his ass. And they are just as snooty and uppity as the ones at Mon Mothma's cocktail parties back in Endor. Mm -hmm. I thought they did a great job of having these, especially the one guy saying, they almost drafted me. Can you believe it? Me in a war. And his wife has to say, no, honey, we're the New Republic now. And he says, oh, Empire, Rebels, New Republic, I can't keep track, which is basically how rich assholes operate, right? I'm still rich. It doesn't matter who's in charge, what colors we're wearing. I still got my money. Get to go to the opera. And listen to TED Talks. Life on Coruscant, huh? Ain't it grand? So, my man goes home to Amnesty Housing. And at Amnesty Housing, we see other former imps in these weird uniforms who are all having a drink. And they say, hey, new guy, come over here and have a drink. We get some intro exposition. The last person introduced is the communications officer from Moff Gideon's ship. Elia Kane. We saw her in the end of season two. And that great scene with Luke Skywalker and all. So he's like, wow, I didn't expect to see someone from Moff Gideon's ship. And she's like, I don't like to think about that anymore. And all these guys are basically reminiscing about, you know, the Empire sucked or whatever. Actually, I take that back. There's this exchange where one of the guys says to Pershing, you're new. And Pershing says, how do you mean? And they said to the program. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of times there, Maze, where it's almost like I think he's a clone. Because he answers things oddly. He gets thrown off by questions about his past or the past. So they start talking about, oh, the uniforms fit better, which is funny because the uniforms they're wearing definitely don't fit very well. They're very baggy. One guy says, I miss the lights of hyperspace. The other guy says, I miss this or whatever. And they ask, Pershing, what do you miss? And he says, miss? And I'm like, okay, does he not have memories? What's going on here? And he says he misses the travel biscuits which remind me of the cheap-ass cookies on a flight that they give you. Yes, the Biscoff cookies. That's definitely the comp. There's also stray comments about what happened to Moff Gideon. We get a rumor that he had escaped on the way to a war tribunal, and they say, no, 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 that's just a cover story because the New Republic used the mind flayer on him. So they're seeding everything in this little conversation here. Now, just off the rip, what do you think happened? Do you think he got mind flayed, or do you think he escaped? I think he escaped. And I think that this whole episode is setting up his triumphant return. Giancarlo Esposito is not finished yet. Fast forward, Pershing's in his room. He's got his iPad out. He's watching some Coruscant's position. We learned that it's called an ecumenopolis. The entirety of the surface of Coruscant is city. It's a city planet. Only a handful of city planets in the galaxy. I believe Hosnian Prime is one of them as well. For those of you guys who are wondering, Coruscant was the capital of the Republic and the Empire. But after the Galactic Civil War, they did not want the seat of power to be Coruscant again. I don't know why. I guess because of the corruption. So they had like a system where it was moving across different planets in the core worlds. And the last one was Hosnian Prime, which was, of course, destroyed in Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Get a doorbell ring. Ding dong ditch. You wanted some biscuits? Here you go. Biscuits with the boss. Ted Lasso is back. 
worth noting that he lives kind of like the way my man from Andor lives. What was his name? Cyril and his mom? Cyril, yeah. Cyril and his mom. In one of these apartments on the lower levels, definitely the low-income housing of Coruscant. Not like the skyscraper that Padme lived in in Attack of the Clones. But as May says, someone left a box of travel biscuits, his favorite kind. And now we cut to Pershing at work. And I said, is this where my man Cyril worked in Andor? The archives? No, it's a different department, but it's still bureaucracy. They had cubicles instead of the circular kind of pit desks that Cyril was working at. But that's got to be... 80% of Coruscant is buildings like this doing random menial tasks. Yeah. And I was struck by the similarities, right? Like New Republic. Oh, the Empire is bad. New Republic. We do shit different. And it's like the same shit. Some guy punching shit into a computer. Some guy pushing a cart around, delivering stuff. And they are basically decommissioning stuff. This stuff is all being cataloged and sent to a scrapyard somewhere. Next, we see Pershing going out on a date with Elia Kane. You thought it was a date? It felt like a date. The space ice cream and the strolls and the little giggles. Maybe Pershing thought it was a date. Yeah. Also, by the way, did you get the vibe in Bad Batch that there's a little woo-hoo-hoo tension between Tech and Wanda Sykes? Tech. Yes. Tension with tech. Yes. I'm going to say no. All right. I'm going to go ahead and say that the only tension tech has is with his Palm Pilot. All right. So they're on this little date. They're walking around. What do you call those glow pops? I call it space ice cream. Glow pops is probably a better name. She gives us some more exposition on Coruscant. There are a trillion permanent residents, which again, given that the entire surface of the planet is a city, makes sense. Uh, she remarks that nothing much has changed other than taking down the cog wheels. And I said, is that what they call the Imperial logo? Cogs in the machine. Cox. She says she's been to Coruscant before when she was part of the Academy. And it's like pretty much the same. And again, we saw that. We saw that with Pershing at the Opera House. Like, it's just a bunch of rich assholes. And then poor people who live beneath the surface. He talks about how the ethics of cloning are complicated. And I wrote at this point, Maze. I don't trust her, man. I didn't trust her as soon as she was in the previously on to remind us that we know her and that she worked on Gideon's ship. All right. So everybody being like, oh, what a surprise or whatever. You said it. you thought it was a date or like he thought it was a date. Yeah. Why would she go out with him? Why is she being so nice to him? Obviously, something's up. The amnesty program alongside Carlos Boozer and Chris Bosch. It is a new thing. I didn't necessarily think that everybody there was there for the right reasons. Oh, like every great reality show. Not everyone here is here for the right reasons. That's exactly it. Okay, so then they come up and they see this boulder of a rock on the ground, and it's called the Peak of Umate. That's the highest mountain on Coruscant. And literally the only place on the planet's surface where you can see the actual planet. Imagine if planet Earth was completely gentrified or whatever with just buildings and pavement everywhere. And then you walk across in the middle of a city square and you see like this rock jetting. Oh, yeah, it's the top of Mount Everest. Oh, shit. He asked her, yo, do you think we could touch it? She's like, yeah, go ahead. This isn't the Empire, man. Ain't no rules or whatever. He goes up. He tries to touch it. And a droid comes out and says, don't do that. And he yelps. That's what I wrote. Dr. Pershing is a little bitch, which he's proven multiple times before on the show. He drops his glow pop. The droid cleans up his trash. And tells him don't litter. And she laughs at him because she says, what did you think was going to happen? Now we see 
part of the amnesty program is like meeting with a parole officer, right? Only the parole officer is a droid and it asks questions. It reminded me of Loki, where they ask questions like that. Maybe I'm thinking of a different show. I think you're thinking of Severance. Yeah, Severance. That's right. Where they go and have the check-ins with the psychiatrist, essentially. Yep. But yes, I thought this droid was funny. And I had a thought while watching this, because Coruscant, all the droids are shiny and new. And so I wondered is droid hq somewhere on coruscant so they get all the new models oh and then the outer rim they're just getting old <laughs> makes and models they're getting the outdated iphones on tatooine i would imagine it's not that the factory is there but it's just because they're rich mm -hmm. they're rich they get all the new stuff right so it's not necessarily like a tesla factory in new york but you're gonna see a bunch of teslas there more than you would see in albuquerque by way of example so the questions are, do you feel any resentment or negative feelings towards your coworkers? No. Do you feel any resentment or negative feelings towards the New Republic or any of its representatives? He says no. And then at the end of it, he asks, can I continue my research recreationally? I want to continue working on the stuff I was working on because I think it's important stuff. He tells a story during his TED Talk about how cloning technology was where it was when his mom pass away he could have cloned her new heart and saved her life that reminded me of the water boy where the water boy has <laughs> that fake story where his dad died of thirst so he dedicates his life to keeping people hydrated yeah. here dr pershing's motivation is that his mom died and if she'd only had a clone organ it all would have been fine the droid tells him no because based on his file his background is in cloning and genetic research and that is prohibited by the coruscant accords oh, that's a third rail issue i mean this is a new thing this is not something that has existed in star wars canon either in book movie or television form but we can decipher that it's the geneva convention that happened at the end of world war ii they have the Coruscant Accords. I'm sure that's where the amnesty program came in, too. Another invention of this episode. He goes back to amnesty housing, and he's talking with Elia. Man, I wish I could still do some stuff. I think we could really help the New Republic. And she's like, yeah, man, you should do that shit. And he says, well, but I don't have the equipment I need. And she says, yeah, I w we can get what you need, but we have to leave the perimeter. Basically, we have to, like, dip out from our restricted zone. Pershing says, but if they catch us, they'll send us back to the Reintegration Institute. And I said, bitch. <laughs> Again. <laughs> he goes back to work, and he's doing his cataloging thing. He tries to tell his supervisor, hey, we can actually use some of this stuff that you're just having me mark as trash. Yeah. There's a lot of useful things. And the supervisor says, no, it's Empire stuff. We can't use it. He can easily reapply it. He's trying to be optimistic, but... Everybody doesn't want to waste the time. So they just say, nah, just trash it. And the guy tells him, like, we got a lot of work to do because we also have to decommission the Alliance fleet, the Rebel Alliance fleet. And Maze, this is the part that isn't clear at all from the TV shows or the movies, but the books make very clear. Part of the reason why the First Order was able to rise back up and overthrow the New Republic was because the New Republic decided it was going to be a pacifist society. And so they dismantled a lot of its military might. Yeah, they kept some X-Wings here and there, as we saw with the New Republic Marshals. But for the most part, this was a pacifist society. And so when the First Order rose back up, they didn't have the firepower to fight back, which is, again, incredibly short-sighted by the New Republic. Pieces of shit. 
a lot of bureaucracy, right? Like, bureaucracy is so bad and all this bureaucracy. And he comes back and he tells, oh, girl, let's go get that mobile lab station. Yeah, I'm going to do it on my own. And he's talking to himself in the mirror and says, you're helping the New Republic. It's the right thing to do. And it reminded me of Taxi Driver. Or what's the movie where it's like, you're smart enough, you're whatever enough, and buy gum or, you know what I'm talking about, that quote? God damn it. People like you. Yeah, that was that one from. Stuart Smalley, the Al Franken sketch. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes. They're about to get on the space subway, and they hop the turnstile. And their turnstiles actually look like the ones in France. Two doors that kind of open and shut. And they hop the turnstile with the very sophisticated hacking technique of sticking your foot in the door before the doors could close. And then just walking through. They get on the train. There's this weird alien that's staring at them. Your boy Pershing is a complete bitch. She's falling apart. She's telling him to keep it together. Makes small talk with Alien by saying, Tongs days, am I right? And I laughed. Reference. There's something about day-to-day life in Star Wars that I really enjoy if it's not on a remote world like Space Greece or Space Vietnam or whatever. Like Those are the ones I'm like, oh, get out of here. They're going to the disposal yards. The stuff he's been inventorying. They've got Imperial ships there. they got mobile labs. He asks her, have you done this before? Because she seemed real comfortable with all the information, which I thought should have been a red flag for him. And she says, where do you think I got the biscuits from? And he says, oh. And I'm like, come on, Pershing. You think she snuck into a junkyard to get some biscuits? He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Ticket taker droids coming through, checking for tickets. This happens Again, in the French subway system, the metro. And much like what Pershing and Elliot do here, the way to evade this is to get up and walk to the next next car and just keep walking until you get to the stop, the next stop, and you walk away, or maybe they get off the train sometimes. Well, in this case, these guys had to go all the way to the back of the train, and then they jumped off the back, and Mace... That's where they lost me. I'm like, all right. Mm. I don't give a damn if they landed on some pillows, which it looked like they did, which is very convenient. But I just thought that was kind of bullshit. Tongs days, am I right? They're walking on the ship, and that's when they make introductions, say each other's actual names. They get to the lab, and Reminiscent makes an appearance, Maze. Oh, man. Preston? Preston Myers? Pershing? Dr. Pershing? Ben Pershing? Always wanted to work in a lab like this as a kid, mommy talk, and yada, yada, yada. And she says, you always knew what you wanted to be. And he says, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a good fella. Shout out to Greg Cody. (laughs) They get the shit. They're leaving. They hear some footsteps, some clattering. They run, run outside, and the ghetto bird with the spotlight hits him. Mm -hmm. Cops come out, and he's under arrest in fume noir. She's not his friend at all. She set his ass up. Sold him out to the New Republic, and they arrest him. They take him in. He's lying on this table, restrained. There's a Mon Calamari there. So, of course, he has to say, it's a trap. It's a trap. She set me up. And he recognizes the Mind Flayer because he's Dr. Pershing. He was familiar with this stuff. And the Mon Calamari says, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Don't worry. We've turned it all the way down. It's very gentle. It's a 602 mitigator, non-invasive experimental treatment, recently approved for rehabilitation. And Pershing's like, no, it's a Mind Flayer. He's like, no, no, no. It's a similar device. But this is very, very low voltage. 
It'll barely hurt. It'll be done before you know it. You'll feel great. You'll feel... They keep talking about this. You'll have amazing dreams. It's gentle. It'll massage you into feeling better. Basically saying that his Imperial programming still hasn't cleared. And that Elliot told him everything. And he doesn't need... They don't need a statement for him and him. Then he asked the question that he should have been asking from the beginning. Why did she set me up? <gasps> Why would she do that? But Maze, I'm looking at this Mind Flayer thing, and I'm like, this is fucked. Is that what they're doing? They're torturing people or erasing their memories? I mean, it's very gentle, okay? <laughs> it's low voltage. We keep it at the lowest possible setting, and it's not going to flay your mind. I promise. That's our New Republic guarantee. So they put him in there. He's having his amazing dreams. Elia's watching and she says, he's my friend. I just want to stay and watch him and make sure he's okay. And so everybody leaves. The Dalek supervisor says, that checks out. Yeah. And walks away. Sounds good. And so she cranks it up to 11 and fries his brain. But why, Maze? Why do you think this is the interesting part of this episode? Why would she do that? She's clearly an imp, right? Okay. So she's still working for Gideon. Uh-huh. Because we have the Gideon reference earlier alongside the Mind Flayer reference. She's infiltrated the New Republic, the Amnesty program. Dr. Pershing is one of the few people who has the information on the cloning process that they've been working on. So she has him acquire the equipment that he would need. She takes that mm -hmm. and then she fries his brain so that he doesn't remember anything. But don't they need his expertise? I don't think they do. And that's where maybe your idea that he's a clone could come in. Yeah, that's what I thought. Is he expendable in that way? They have another Dr. Pershing, perhaps, or... They have the real Dr. Pershing, and that was a clone that they sent so that they don't look for Dr. Pershing anymore. Sure, that could work as well. Mm. She's definitely working for Gideon. This is tying off a loose end here with Dr. Pershing. Now it's just the question of, is Gideon also the Imperial who attacked Bo-Katan right. and Din on Calavella? So before we go back to Din and Bo-Katan, which is basically what happens right after this scene, how did you like this? How did you like this extended time on Coruscant and a day in the life of Dr. Pershing? I enjoyed it. I liked following him around. It's too bad that she was so obviously setting him up and now his storyline is snipped, at least this version, and we won't be coming back here, but I enjoyed it. I don't mind it being a change of pace at all. I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot more serious sometimes. I feel like Mandalorian goes a little too far across the aisle to welcome in either people new to Star Wars or young people, children with easy-to-digest storylines. So I enjoyed this being part of a larger, more complicated story. I enjoyed learning more about the New Republic and not feeling so sorry for them, to be honest, for what happened to them. Because they weren't shit, really. I mean, that's just awful. You're out here torturing people? Not cool. I mean, they're not torturing people. That's it's at the lowest moment. setting. How many times <laughs> do I have to tell you this is not a mind flare? It's just a dream. It's just a dream. We're back with Bo-Katan 
and Din Djarin, and he took her to the covert, to where we saw in episode one of this season where they were doing the baptism, that same little cave or whatever. And he tells her, this will go smoother if you keep your helmet on. And to be fair, she hasn't taken it off to this point. Which reminds me, as a Muslim, uh, sometimes if you're with a woman or a girl or whatever, and you tell her, uh, you know what, maybe keep the headscarf on. Where we're going right now they're a bit more on the religious side. It'll make this experience go a lot of smoother. So they get down there, and Paz Vizsla's hating ass comes out. Ah, you're an apostate. Get out of here. Da, da, da. He's not buying any of this shit. He said, yo, we went to the living water. He's like, no, bullshit. You're full of shit. And he's like, no, it's not cursed. Those are all lies. And Paz Vizsla hits him with the all-time maze rebuttal, which is, what if you're lying? Oh, what if you are lying? He's like, well, I'm not. And all right, we'll see about that. They take him to the armor and then hands her the vial full of the water they got. She takes it over to the cooling station where they put the hot Beskar, pours it in. We get some pretty, pretty colors. So living waters, do you think that there's bacteria in the water or something that is distinct? Or it's the coloring. I don't give it. Like, I don't know what it is. You don't give a shit. All right. There you go. Basically, we know that these waters only exist in Mandalore. And when you pour it into regular water, it makes a color. That's all we need to know. That's all the Almora cared about. She says, this is indeed the living waters. Dinjarin is redeemed. And then they said, and bo gets redeemed as well because you were there. You get redeemed. You get redeemed. Do you take your helmet off? He's like, no. All right, you're in. Much like after a religious ceremony, everyone comes around and starts congratulating, except for Paz Vizsla's hating ass. Yeah. Who, even though he's wearing a helmet, you could tell he's hating. Oh, you could tell he's hating. I mean, he was hating on Din in the Book of Boba episode. His clan has history with the Kree's clan, so he's going to be an antagonist within the Mandalorians for them. He's not buying any of this, but... Maze, as everyone's crowding around Bo-Katan and Din and congratulating them and stuff, Bo-Katan looks at the wall and she sees the tusk of the Mythosaur skull. Mythosaur. And Maze, I think she's putting together her whole fake I am converted plan to use this covert of Children of the Watch as her new army to conquer Mandalore and claim the throne. Well, so does the armorer and the covert give a shit that Din has the dark saber? Is he going to hold this thing up like the ooze next week and they're all going to follow him and they've just been waiting for him to redeem himself to do this? They do care because we know that he fought Paz Vizsla in Book of Boba Fett and got all the exposition that he needed to learn about the dark saber and its importance. But again, you just have to beat the other person in combat. You don't have to kill them. It's happened. No, I understand. I just mean what we're setting up for here is the rise of Mandalore once again. Someone's going to ride the Mythosaur. Oh. Someone's going to have the Darksaber. And right now, it could be Din for both. It makes more sense to me that Bo would have the Darksaber, which means she'd have to defeat him in combat at some point. But right now, Din should be the leader, right? Yes, he should be the leader, except he doesn't want to. So he's just a guy that has a darksaber. All right. I need them to talk a little bit more about this. That's what's bugging me, I guess, is that we keep 
rolling things on down the road. Bo was asking him, did you see anything? And he's like, no, my eyes were closed. I didn't see the giant mythosaur in the water. And he's got the dark saber, but we haven't talked about it at all this season. I gave Dr. Pershing a lot of shit. Then also a little bit of a bitch. <laughs> you fell in the water and you passed out. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. But they're all together. We're going to get some Mandalorian shenanigans, I'm sure, next episode. And I'm excited for that moment where they all drop out of the ship and launch their jetpacks. And then we got Moff Gideon working on the outskirts in the shadows. I'm sure he'll make an appearance at some point. Anything else you're looking forward to, Amin? Thrawn. You, you put Thrawn in my head. I'm like, oh, shit. Maybe Thrawn is back. Well, so clarify this for me. Is he around in this timeline or is he with Ezra and we can't get to him until we take the Pergils to go find Ezra and Thrawn. Here's the, the Pergil jump in and out of hyperspace. So especially for Thrawn, who's incredibly calculating, it stands to reason over the last decade that Thrawn might've figured it out. Part of that reason is because we know that Ahsoka doesn't believe he's dead or gone forever. She's out here threatening people. Tell me where Grand Admiral Thrawn is. And remember who she asked that to. To Gideon. Mm -hmm. So maybe Thrawn and Gideon have cooperated and are in cahoots at some point. I'd like to think that it could be Thrawn, but I think it's a little bit of a leap. It makes way more sense to just leave him for the Ahsoka series. Or do you set it up? Because we saw how this season basically was set up in Book of Boba Fett. So is this another one of those? Like, we're going to use this show to set it up so that when Ahsoka series comes out, we know who Thrawn is, we know that's the villain, and we don't have to waste episodes of a new series expositioning to everybody who everybody is. I could see them saying his name, but I think it'd be weird to actually have him appear. And I don't think he has any history with Bo-Katan, so him blowing up her castle would have to be backfilled. Well, a couple of things. One, the history would be from Rebels, because remember Sabine Wren, who's a Mandalorian, went back to Mandalore, and at that point of Rebels, the main villain is Thrawn. So it wouldn't be a foreign name to her, for sure. As far as why he would blow up the castle, this is what I love about Thrawn. Thrawn is a sociopath. He has zero emotion, and everything is based on logic and reasoning. He is the antithesis of the Force, by the way. Vader, Palpatine, everything is the force and emotions and feeling and going through that. Thrawn is not. He is cold and calculated and everything comes from like research and analytics and shit like that. So blowing up the castle for him wouldn't be like, you broke it down, I hate you. It'd be more like of a calculated move to cripple her in essence, especially considering she ain't got no backup anymore and they didn't know that she was going to go to this cupboard. So... I'm not saying, oh, it's definitely Thrawn. I'm just saying, I don't know if we can write it off just quite yet. Okay. What we will do, though, is write off this extremely large episode of Rule of Two, because this is an extremely large episode of The Mandalorian. It's almost an hour long, and it felt very cinematic. So I enjoyed it thoroughly, Maze. I just hope we don't go back to, like, next week. Hey, and Grogu has a friend. Just keep this going. Bad baby. Keep this going. Bad baby. For Darth Corp Puzzle, I'm Darth Amin reminding you. <laughs> Trog's him, all right?
Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy, something that makes me smile, something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.